Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. A 31-year-old man named Elijah Muhammad died on Sunday in a Rikers Island jail, prompting the firing of a correction officer involved in the incident. He was the 10th person to die this year after being held in city jail custody. It is rare for the agency to fire a correction officer so soon after a detainee's death. Fatal incidents have become a regular occurrence over the past two years in the Rikers Jail Complex. The fired corrections officer was still on probation after having been hired recently and was not yet entitled to the same protections given tenured members of the City Correction Officers Union. The death and the disciplinary action that stemmed from it came as city officials were resisting calls for a federal court takeover of the Rikers Island Complex, where an inability to staff the jails during the coronavirus pandemic has forced detainees to go without food or basic health care. The possibility of a federal takeover has hung over Rikers Island since April, when the U.S. attorney in Manhattan raised the prospect of appointing an independent overseer for some or all of the city jail system. At a hearing soon after, a federal judge reviewed a plan prepared by the Correction Department for reducing violence at the complex and ordered the department to revise it. Officers brought up for discipline have a right to have their cases heard before an administrative judge, and the officer can appeal the decision after their case is decided. Often, it can take years for the department to resolve even the most egregious cases of officer misconduct and negligence, and the resolution does not always end in an officer's firing. In 2019, when officers stood by as a young man attempted to hang himself in a cell for seven minutes, the worst punishment any of them faced was suspension. Last month, a week after a federal judge forestalled the federal takeover of Rikers, three detainees died in three days. Antonio Bradley, 28, died on June 18th, three days after he was granted compassionate release to Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx. Mr. Bradley, who had been held in a mental observation unit on Rikers, used his sweater to hang himself in a courthouse cell following a hearing in the Bronx criminal court. He had been hanging for several minutes, before jail officers noticed him. Two days later, Anibal Carrasquillo, 39, died at the George R. Vierno Center. The cause was a possible drug overdose. Hours before he died, Mr. Carrasquillo complained of chest pain, but officers ignored him. The following day, Albert Dry, 52, died at the Bellevue Prison Hospital Ward, according to the Legal Aid Society, which was representing him. The cause of his death is still unknown. He was sent to the hospital just six days after entering the jail, where his condition worsened daily. Even so, no jail staff member noted that he was severely ill. After 44 years behind bars, Vincent Simmons was freed from prison this year. A black man, Simmons was convicted in 1977 for crimes he says he didn't commit and is suing the officials who may have orchestrated a cover-up for a white man who had connections with police. Vincent Simmons' conviction was overturned in February by a judge who said Simmons, age 70, didn't get a fair trial because jurors never heard key evidence in his favor. 
A jury of 11 white men and a black woman convicted Simmons unanimously of attempted aggravated rape against a 14-year-old pair of white twin sisters. He was sentenced to back-to-back 50-year prison terms. The case against Simmons took place 60 days after the alleged attempted rapes. The twins did not immediately report the crime. Once they did, a lineup was ordered. Simmons was the only man placed in handcuffs in the lineup, and the girls identified him. In the lawsuit filed Tuesday in U.S. District Court for Western Louisiana, Simmons alleged that Aboyel's parish prosecutors and sheriff's office officials framed him to cover for a prominent white family in the area. The suit claims that Keith Laborde, the son of the Aboyel's parish assessor, a cousin of the twins, had sexually molested one of them. Robert Laborde, a relative of the Labordes and the twins, was a sheriff's deputy at the time. The suit reads that the deputy arrested Simmons, quote, on view, without probable cause, and with knowledge of his innocence. The suit went on, quote, Robert Laborde possessed Simmons, pressured Simmons to confess, and physically assaulted and indeed shot Simmons when he refused to admit guilt. Two of the defendants in this case, with powerful positions as parish assessor and deputy sheriff, were named Laborde, and with family honor at stake, they collaborated under color of law with their fellow officers to ensure that Simmons was put away. Last week, we aired an interview on the history of the old Atlanta prison farm and the struggle underway now to defend the forest there. As of Friday, July 15th, DeKalb County police are blocking the entrance to the public Entrenchment Creek Park on the other side of the forest from the prison farm in order to harass and obstruct protest on public property. Defend the Forest organizers are requesting that members of the public call the DeKalb County Commissioner, Ted Terry, at 404-371-4909 and lodge complaints regarding the closure of a public park. We recently marked our 300th consecutive episode, and in honor of that, we've been airing our favorite selections from previous shows. As we approach the upcoming four-year anniversary of the most recent national prison strike, we wanted to air these calls from two prisoners inside South Carolina who risked their own safety to send us messages about the conditions people were facing inside their facility. This week, we hear statements from two prisoners, J and C, who spoke to us from within the South Carolina prisons. They give us some insight into how prisoners in their area are participating in the strike in the form of commissary boycotts and give statements of solidarity with prisoners in other facilities on strike. They give us information about the aftermath of the incident at Lee County Correctional, and we hear more about the conditions they face while on lockdown. As a matter of fact, I do uh, have some insight from the inside because as you are aware, you may know that I am currently in the inside. I'm calling from the inside, the inside of the South Carolina Department of Corrections. And I just want to leave a message that in the state that I speak on behalf of the state of South Carolina, when I say that we stand in solidarity with the participating strikers, and not only here in the states, but, you know, a special thanks to those in Greece and the other international supporters um, as well. At the moment, you know, we're experiencing oppression at its worst as an attempt to repress our voices and quash our unity. We have been on 24-hour lockdown since what has transpired at Lee Correctional Institution um, back in April of this year. That right there in that um, incident was bad. 
within itself, you know, and um uh we again our condolences goes out to those comrades. It was a very uh situation, a very bad situation to deal with, especially when um when you were close to individuals um that were, you know, affected the in the worst way. And so um we still going through um going through those emotions with with that situation and and trying to uh, be sure that it don't happen again amongst ourselves, you know, even because we do not have the support uh, from um, uh, the the administration or, or the correctional officers. They do not give us that support, so we try to to do it within ourselves, you know, and there's the lack of, of counseling, the lack of therapy, the lack of uh, anyone to speak to, you know, when situations like that occur or before they occur. So and the thing is, when you have a situation that big, or just not even that big, when you have a situation period, and then you you leave the same individuals or the ones who were close to the individuals affected around one another, then what do you expect to happen with, without you addressing the issue or the problem? So now you're leaving this boiling pot, it becomes a boiling pot, and, and, you, and it boils over and it boils over and it boils over because you're not addressing the problem. All you're doing is you're trying to move the problem around and, or just lock the problem down for long extents of times and just and within your mindset saying, hey, we lock it down for a month to a year, it'll go away. That is not the way that you address the problem. You have to address the problem. You have you have to nip it at the bottom. You can't just start at the top. You have to go to the bottom of the problem in order to fix it. And the problem is that there's nothing to there's nothing for these individuals or there's nothing for individuals to do yet sit around one another all day with no help coming from anyone. So there there need to be things that um that the the state addresses as well to fix the situations. We have been on twenty four hours lockdowns. That means uh zero movement whatsoever. We're being fed late um in the nights. We're only receiving one shower a week. We're being denied uh cell cleaning, um, as well as clean drinking water, even when there are water advisories. Uh any inmate who attempts to participate in the strike is being placed on um, in solitary confinement, uh, which is lock up on um, sex. And uh, as a result, you know, that as what has been taking place since what's transpired at Lee and the fact that we have been on 24-hour lockdown without any cell um, movement whatsoever, uh, there has been a number of suicides and attempts. So the most recent one to take place at Broad River Correctional Institution. So I just want to say that our condolences goes out to the families of the comrades who have been affected during these days of the strike um, as well as in wake of what transpired at Lee. And, you know, even though that we're unable to be involved physically because of the repression and the oppression that we're receiving and experiencing at this moment, that we're with the guys mentally and spiritually who are participating in the prisoner strike. So I wanted to give us, we all wanted to tell everyone, thank you for supporting us, and we stand behind them at this time, you know, and we're behind everyone. We appreciate all the support that we're receiving. So as far as the support that we can receive, you just having individuals to constantly contact and constantly, um, well, initiate the contact because no one's from back here is going to do it, and no one. And and if you stop, and if it stops, then it's going to die down, and it's going to die down, and they're going to sweep it under the rug. And the the thing that is taking place, they're doing is they're attempting to put it on um, on cell phones as being the reason. Uh, for what has taken place, but that is that is totally the the opposite of what's taking place. And the reason why I say because.
because if you take the cell phone out of the system, then they have no idea of knowing what goes on back here, what transpires, and um, and it's really not the uh, the cell phones. The cell phones have never been the cause because you have individuals who, and like myself, who wake up every day, and when you wake up every day to video your daughter and you brush your teeth with your child, and before they go to bed, you tell them stories and, and you lay down and go. That the cell phones have never been the reason. The cell phones are to stop the outside from knowing what goes on and the conditions of what's going on. So if the, if, the, if the outside supporters can continue to just call in and, and request to know the status and what is going on, you know, actually stay on them and make them answer the questions that you guys desire to know. Because if you look, if you take a closer look back here, there's not one rehabilitating uh, program in the individual back here, there is zero rehabilitation. So we wake up every day just to go to sleep. There's nothing else outside of doing that. So that that is what the support we need is to get things that um, that can actually help instead of them trying to suppress what takes place back here. Again, I just want to uh, thank everyone for um, for participating in the prison strike. I want to again give thanks for everyone who is supporting us and the comrades in the struggle because we are really feeling it right now. We're 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 really feeling it right now from the the lack of cleaning materials, from them not washing our clothes, to us not being able to leave our cells. We are really feeling it right now. So the most that they can do is give prayers. Uh, people send our prayers and, and constantly contact them to know why we're in the situation and in the predicament that we're experiencing at this moment. Look what I'm whipping up. This is America. Don't got you slipping up. Look how I'm living up. So much I know what it's like. Um, the yards are basically being, you know, still, you know, locked down. And, you know, I guess for security reasons, they're afraid that, you know, not necessarily the strike is, is the issue, but the retaliation from whatever happened at the Lee County Institution. As far as the strike goes, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they, a lot of guys want to strike, and of course the yards are locked down, so the only ones that can strike is the kitchen workers. Now, what FCDC has done over the past few years, you know, they've been, um, They've already been preparing for these type situations, you know, as far as the, the striking goes. So what they did is they created these uh, quote-unquote programs, and in these program dorms, you know, they never locked down or the doors don't get locked, things of that nature. So it's kind of like a privilege that you know nobody wants to really lose. They even have a, a, a program yard, you know, this is at the Perry Institution where the, the entire yard you know, are like lifers, you know, some with parole, some without parole. And the focus is what they kind of promise the guys is that, you know, they stay disciplinary free for a certain amount of time and after, after that they will be able to go back in front of the judge for reconsideration of the time and, you know, possibly, you know, get a time cut, uh, you know, get the life sentence converted back to, you know, some numbers. So they kind of like got it to where people are almost afraid to take those steps as, you know, towards the strike. They knew about the strike, you know, months ahead of time, you know, you, they, they possibly knew about it since last year, even before the, 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 the riot happened at Lee County. 
because we had one in 2016 where, you know, they already, you know, they were prepared. So what they do is they threaten you with these, these privileges that you have, you know, so you're kind of reluctant to, to speak it out against them. And, and that's the situation here in South Carolina. You know, most of the people, you know, going on hunger strikes and things like that, you know, a lot of people are already fatigued from, you know, the 120-something day lockdown where, you know, they weren't, they wasn't getting canteen anyway, um, or they wasn't getting uh, the proper food, you know, sometimes the food is crap, man. They, they, people, you really don't want to eat it, to be honest. And, um, you know, so they hold these, 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 these things as leverage, you know, over us. As far as the level two camps go, a lot of those guys are kind of like short timers. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand, like, you know, they don't want to really step in the way. The level one camps are definitely not going to strike. Uh, <laughs> and that's the separation they put between us. You know, a lot of other prisons, like, they don't, South Carolina has designed it where, you know, they can contain uh, a lot of the situations when it comes to level twos and, and ones. You know, the level threes really don't have a say-so or anything, so they, they, they could care less about, you know, sending out the search team or the strike team or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be when it comes to things like that. But I, I just wanted to, to put on record that South Carolina, we, we appreciate the love and support of, you know, the other states and uh, the other countries that's participating in the strike and had the yard been up we would have total support, full participation. You understand what I'm saying? These guys, they're, they're beat down. You know, they're, you know, they're starving. Uh, you know, they get beat on, you know, almost on a, a, a regular basis, you know, because they're seeking out and they, 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 they're lashing out because they want to come out the rooms. And the facilities, are, you know, they're handling these guys kind of, you know, they're handling them harshly, you know what I mean? So... We, we definitely appreciate the guys that's putting their lives out there, and we, we appreciate the guys that's, that's standing behind us strongly, you know what I'm saying, fighting for these changes, even though, you know, we're not actually, that we can't actually participate in a full-on no-work strike. We are striking the commissary and the, you know, the canteen and things of that nature. We're not spending no money with the, with the state. We're trying to encourage everybody to do it. That's our way of getting on board. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to. We don't want to help them at all. You know, we don't in any kind of programs that they have. As far as us spending our money, our family sending them money and things like that, we're trying to cut that short. What I wanted to put on record is that South Carolina basically specializes in punishment. You know, there's no sort of rehabilitation whatsoever, especially for level three camps. You know, level three camps will be the most the highest level of security or whatever the case may be. And these are the guys that locked down the most, uh, not necessarily the most violent, you know, they, they was classified at this level for whatever, you know, however the classification process works. Like the governor mentioned that the riot happened because you put the animals together and, and you know, sometimes you got to, you know, this is how the animals react. And in, in, in response to that statement, they expect the worst of the worst to live together not have these situations happen. You know, they put a murderer and a murderer in the room and they expect no murders to happen. You know what I mean? This, this is what they claim that, you know, the guys are 
we the worst of the worst. You know what I mean? You, you expect a, a rapist to go in the room with a murderer and, and either somebody's getting raped or somebody's getting murdered. And that's not the case. South Carolina, we know, you know, we, we try to refrain from any kind of violence towards each other, you know, and we know that the, the, the situation at Lee County was bad, but that's not to, to speak for the rest of the, uh, the rest of the state. We don't we don't really lash out at each other like that. You know, you got personal uh, situations where a guy may get into an altercation with another guy. I mean, that's going to happen. It's going to happen around the world, not just here in South Carolina. But what they're trying to do is they they put everybody together in these one man cells. They got two men in one man cells. And they expect us to get along and follow the rules and, you know, be obedient and whatever the case may be. And for the most part, we, we've been doing that. You know, we, we, we've been learning to cope with the man of, uh, of, the, same, of the same nature, if you will. Like, you know, I, I live in a room with a murderer, you know, an alleged murderer, excuse me. I, I'm in here for murder. But they expect us to not have an altercation or, or whatever the case may be, whatever psychological games that they play with us, you know, we, we decided that we're going to get along. We're going to make it work. You understand what I'm saying? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that he, he may do that I don't like and a lot of things that I may do that he don't like. But at the end of the day, we, we deal with it. And that's what we do. You know, it's, it's been going on for, for, for the last nine years. And and that's around the state. They paint us out to be animals and, and, and all of this. And, and, and it boils down to the time. There's no hope. <laughs> you know, you got some people here for 20 years, and you know, and they get out, and they they, they know they're getting out. You know, they could be getting out in the next few months, next few weeks. However, when they get out, then then what? They don't have anything. You know, we got people that's uh, you know, that's, that's been down for 20 years, and this man's going to get out. He's going to be destitute. He's going to get out with absolutely nothing. No money for transportation. No money for housing. No money for clothing, and you know, and they expect these guys, uh, a burglar, to go back home destitute with absolutely nothing, and then not survive when he gets there. Everyone here doesn't have family. You know, everyone here doesn't have uh, a family with the means of supporting them as far as, far as finances go. And then they, on top of that, you know, you got a man that's in prison that that, that can't earn any money for himself. He has to pay a medical copay, you know, every time he goes to medical for whatever reason, a, a toothache or uh, just to get his blood pressure checked. They charge him uh, anywhere from 15 to $20 per visit. You know, the man already don't have any money. I mean, you, if he decides to, uh, if he does get any money, you're going to take most of that. So it's, 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 it's just, oh, man, I can't even explain it. Uh, the, the, the anguish they, they, they put on you when, when you think about these things. Like it's it's, it's depressing, and, and this is what we're dealing with back here. You know, as I said, like they all they all they do is specialize in punishment. They don't they don't give us any hope whatsoever. And um and, and again, I want to say that I appreciate everyone. We appreciate everyone that's out there that's trying to help us and trying to push the agenda to to, to change to reform the, the entire prison system, not just here in South Carolina, but everywhere. I hear the Mississippi is, is pretty bad, and, and, and our hearts goes out to those guys. And California is taking measures and steps to, you know, change a little bit. Um, I hear the um, the governor of uh, New York is doing taking measures to, you know, change Rikers Island a little bit. You know, make it better, or not necessarily better, but make it 
you know, rehabilitative, you know what I mean? That people are going home, we're going back into society, and you don't want, you know, to be in the same mindset. I don't think any man does. You know, for whatever reason somebody got killed, uh, whatever incident may have occurred for them to land themselves in prison, I don't think that's the same situation they want when they get out. You know, nobody wants that. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't want to ever be in another situation like this. You know, I'm sure my my, my roommate or the guys that I live with uh, in here, they don't want to deal with that. So when we're talking about rehabilitation, we, we're trying to figure out what they mean because if you're sitting in a room for 24 hours with nothing to do, where's the rehabilitation coming in at? Like, it's, it's no reading. You know, it's, there's, there's no kind of uh, vocational programs, and there's definitely no. No, no, no programs to give you any skills when you get out. Most of the guys back here don't even know how to fill out an application if they were to get out of here today. You know, don't even know how to write a resume. And, and these skills are very much needed in, in, in the prison system. Now, Lee County actually came up like a, a few days after that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how that happened, but they, they allowed them to come up. But the... The rest of the prisons, you know, um, they, they remain down, and then they let um, the Perry Institution up, you know, because I said as I said, they are a program yard, so they're not expecting them to, to do anything that's uh, harmful to themselves, you know, because you know they got something to look forward to. But yeah, we've been down like uh, it, it's been horrible. <laughs> it's been horrible, and some of the dorms, you know, they've been taken out. Um, they have no chair. They have no table to write on or eat on. They have no lockers to put their personal belongings in. You know, so it's just a, a room with a bunk bed, two mats, and a whole bunch of property all over the place. And, and that's the prison in itself. And on top of that, they come and they put these big plates over the window. So there's no natural daylight coming inside the room. It, it's worse than being a, a dog, if you get what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> you understand? It's horrible. Yeah, the conditions here are, are very messed up. Put these steel plates over the windows. So, like, yeah, it's no looking out. You know, and, and the windows that's not covered with the plates, they sandblast them. So you can't look out the window anyway. So, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. Like I said, they are, uh, uh, it's been 100, over 120 days. 24-7, you know, the guys have been locked down, and there has been no counseling to anybody. You know what I mean? Like you, you get a, a few of the chaplains around the state, or a couple of the uh, institution, and they'll go around and you know they'll offer some prayer or whatever. Uh, but most guys, they, you know, the praying part is over with. No, nobody really wants to interact with you know the chaplain because he has no power to do anything other than you know speak to you based on religion. I, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to discuss religion right now. It, it's hard and it, it's terrible for us. So. I just wanted to get that out. The most important thing that anybody can do is just make noise. South Carolina is big on wanting to cover cover things up. The murders happened four months ago, and two weeks after they happened, like you know, it, it, it got real quiet. You didn't hear anything. They, they, they're real good at making things go away. So we just need everybody out there to push to you know make noise for us because it's. We can't. We, we, there's, there's not enough that we can do from in here, but give you guys the information that you need to make the noise. So if you can, just just make a whole bunch of noise. We need to get rid of our director of prisons. 
Mr. Sterling, he has to, he, he, he definitely has to go. Our governor is, uh, is horrible. Um, it's just, you know, they, they have no sense of direction, if you will. You know, they, they, they don't know. They're, they're behind from their, their faces. So we just need everybody out there to, to make noise, to, you know, continue to support us. We, we, we really need it, you know. Um, me, I myself, I try to uh, talk to as many guys as I can to keep them sane, but I can't do it all myself. So, if, if anybody out there that you know anybody that's in prison, here in the South Carolina Department of Corrections, write them letters, send them pictures, do whatever you can to keep their minds off of these white walls, uh, and 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 that's that's basically all I can ask. You know, that's that's all I can ask, man. We need it. This has been KiteLine. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.